and welcome to Ending Physician Overwhelm. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Mello. I'm a family and obesity medicine physician, as well as a certified life coach for physicians. In this podcast, we talk about how the learned habits of people-pleasing, perfectionism, and a lack of boundaries show up in our lives and how they contribute to burnout, exhaustion, and overwhelm. The healthcare system is broken, my friends, but let's not wait for it to be fixed in order to feel better. Hello, my friends, and welcome to today's episode. I'm so glad that you're joining me here today. Today, we're going to be talking about the habit of procrastination. And I know that this is a habit that many of my listeners struggle with. They hear about it all the time um, when coaching clients and, of course, myself, my friends, um, you know, it's pretty pervasive. And we're going to talk today about some ways that we can understand procrastination differently and really start to address it and fix it. Um, The idea for um, this month's episodes uh, are coming to me from uh, recently I reread the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. And if you haven't read it, I think he takes a great look at the science of habits in a way that is really helpful for understanding them at a deeper level, but also entertaining. And I definitely recommend that you give it a try if you're looking to overhaul your own habits. Um, But again, this month's podcast episodes are all going to be on the theme of habits. And so I hope you'll tune in and learn with me. All right, let's dive in. So if you struggle with procrastination, if you consider yourself a procrastinator, we need to start looking at why we procrastinate in order to understand it better. Procrastination, like other habits that we develop, solves a problem. When we procrastinate, we are generally looking at a piece of work that we don't want to do. It could be closing our notes, could be making a phone call, doing the dishes, applying for the promotion. What problem does procrastination solve for? It solves the problem of the discomfort of doing something that you don't want to do. And further, it prevents us from having feelings that we anticipate feeling when we do that work. If it's charting, here's how this might look. I don't want to sit down and do my charts. I don't want to be working right now. I worry that my notes are too long, too short, that they don't contain all the information that I need, that others will judge me. When I don't sit down to get them done, I get the reward of not doing something unpleasant, and I get to avoid the feelings of inadequacy, fear of judgment, etc. It's no wonder, if I'm having these thoughts, that I develop the habit of procrastination. My reptilian brain starts to like procrastinating because at a basic level, it wants to conserve energy. It doesn't want to risk being judged because that might threaten my safety with the group. My reptilian brain is focused on survival, conservation of energy, and seeking pleasure. Procrastination helps me with those steps, and therefore the behavior of avoiding charts is reinforced in those parts of my brain, even if my mammalian brain knows that it needs to get this work done. There might be consequences. This is why trying to break the habit of procrastination can feel like such a challenge. 
The mammalian brain knows it has some work to get done and wants to be organized and think of itself as an efficient and effective person. And it's in direct opposition to what the reptilian parts want. And if we add in the current context of the pandemic, when practices are severely understaffed, wait times for patients are long, physicians and healthcare workers are strapped and exhausted, that reptilian brain may be driving more of our actions than we would like, right? And we know that, we feel that in the exhaustion and often the quality of the decisions that we're making for ourselves. Understanding this element of our habit of procrastination is really important because it allows us to generate some self-compassion rather than defaulting to self-judgment and harsh self-talk. Yes, you may be procrastinating in some parts of your work or home life, and it makes sense that our brains default to this choice, trying to protect us from discomfort and risk and trying to conserve energy. If we dig a bit deeper into the work of self-compassion expert, Dr. Kristen Neff, she really highlights three key elements of self-compassion, self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Self-kindness, just as it sounds, is when we practice speaking kindly to ourselves, acknowledging our feelings. It might sound like this. It makes sense that I feel this way. I want my notes to be clear and thorough. And after a long day or when I'm running behind, it can be a challenge to feel like I can meet my own expectations. When we practice self-kindness, we aren't judging ourselves. We are acknowledging ourselves and our very human emotions. Common humanity is when we recognize that others would have a similar response in this same situation, that others feel this way too. This might sound like, most doctors hate writing notes. I'm not alone here. And the mindfulness piece is not over or under identifying with the emotions that come up. If I notice that I feel frustrated sitting down to work on my charts, how can I acknowledge my frustration without getting consumed by it? This might include naming the emotion, I notice that I feel frustrated, or taking a few minutes to take some deep breaths and relax, rather than storming around, looking for more evidence of how hard things are, how people aren't helping, etc. If we use these elements of self-compassion in the face of our habit of procrastination, we can start to get curious about what procrastination is specifically solving for in our lives in these situations. We can start to acknowledge the emotions and develop a plan to move forward rather than hoping that we'll feel motivated tomorrow and we'll get caught up, we'll magically change the way that we do things. Tomorrow will be easier. Any number of other um, sort of fantasy thoughts that are external, right? Externally driven. Notice how different an experience this might be compared to whatever is happening for you now. So let's think about what comes next. Next comes the work of deciding how to overcome procrastination. And since we have done the work to understand better why we procrastinate, this part can be easier than it sounds. In the past, we might have, you know, needed to rely on willpower. We needed to, you know, kind of white knuckle our way through changes. But here, when we've actually taken the time to better understand what's going on in our brains when we're procrastinating, again, it's easier to change the way that we do things. 
and without self-judgment and again, that willpower. Throughout his book, Claire talks about tremendous progress being made by people who committed to a process that created small but meaningful changes. Slight course corrections made consistently can yield big results. And when it comes to procrastination, the same thing applies. So spend a moment thinking about a habit that you've been procrastinating on. Again, it could be closing your charts as you go. Maybe you've been procrastinating on restarting an exercise habit, whatever it is. If you think about where you are with this problem right now, what is the minimum amount of progress that you can commit to even on a tough day? If you normally end your clinic day with four charts closed out of 20, could you commit to closing six per clinic day as a starting point? And here, you know, your brain starts to freak out. Six compared to four is nothing. Six and four are, you know, such a small number compared to the 20 that you have to do. It's not a huge difference. It's not going to make an impact. It seems like too little progress to our high achieving brains who want you to wake up tomorrow and start closing all 20 charts right away, immediately, somehow, magically, without without making any compromises. But think about it this way. You're going to move closer to your goal if you regularly commit to closing six charts per day, right? If that's where we start, we can get really good at that and then move on. Let's think about how this applies to exercise. Can you agree to a 10-minute walk even on a busy day? It's easy to sit back and think about an ideal workout, maybe do some research on what's the best kind of exercise that you could do, what's going to give you the most benefit for your buck, and then, you know, do all the fantasizing about having a perfect day. The kids aren't sick. Your patients are all on time. Uh, everyone's getting along with each other, right? And that, that will allow you to exercise. But really, that's not how our lives work. And if we're sitting around waiting for those perfect days to take action, we will not make any progress. But If we can think about it differently, if we can take the action of a 10-minute walk, even on a crazy day, then we become someone who walks 10 minutes every day, which is a step along the path to becoming someone who exercises regularly. You see how here, small, consistent action, something that is achievable even on a tough day, really starts to reinforce the habit and the avoidance of procrastination to move us forward. When we commit here to taking these small amounts of action, we practice overcoming that procrastination, we are putting in the reps, building the muscle needed towards who we want to be, rather than beating ourselves up for not being able to just do it now. Bear talks about this a lot in the book, how choosing to make decisions that are in alignment with the identity that we want helps us to be consistent with these actions. Every time we take the action of the 10-minute walk, we're getting six charts closed, we are giving our brains evidence that we are the person who we want to be. Said another way, it is us voting towards the identity that we want, not the identity that we currently have. We can look all over for examples of how this works. 
if I can't do a push-up right now, in order to get to be able to do 15 push-ups, I have to commit to actions such as maybe holding a plank position or lifting smaller weights in order to be able to do one push-up. And when I can do one push-up, if I show up and I do one push-up enough times, eventually I'm going to be able to do two push-ups. Again, our high achiever brains get stuck in the mud here, thinking that I should be able to do 15 push-ups. We used to be able to do 15 push-ups. Healthy people can do 15 push-ups. Maybe it jumps all the way in the opposite direction and says, well, I never wanted to be able to do 15 push-ups. We can see here that we can choose to instead be kind to ourselves, recognize that lots of people can't do push-ups, and acknowledge our frustration or disappointment that we can't do one, and then still decide to take the action to make a change. So I won't heart anymore on the push-ups, but just to say that we are able to make progress. We are able to choose a different path that makes solving the habit of procrastination easier rather than getting stuck. To wrap this all together, This process involves understanding the emotional portions of procrastination. That is seeing how procrastination helps us to avoid feelings that we don't want to have and the discomfort of doing work that we don't want to do. Once we understand that, once we understand how procrastination is serving us, we can make a commitment to a small amount of action that helps to move us forward small enough that we can stick with the plan, even on a hard day, and easy enough that we can consistently practice it until we are ready to advance. Six charts out of 20 is two less to do later in the evening. And when you get good at closing those six, closing eight seems doable. Your brain starts to go to work, figuring out this new habit and feeling the reward of having more free time later in the evening. One push-up seems insignificant and even a bit silly as a daily exercise program. But once I can do one and I keep doing one over and over and over again on different days, I am on my way to be able to do 10 or 15 or whatever my goal is. Thank you very much for your time and attention today. I hope that this is helpful. And if you are looking for more ideas um, to help with habits, to help with perfectionism and people-pleasing and boundaries, all of which are areas that I typically cover, I invite you to join my email list. You'll receive a weekly email with helpful ideas for navigating life as a busy physician, and you'll get early information about upcoming offerings, including the next round of my group program, Healing Perfectionism in Women Physicians. To learn more, head to my website at www.healthierforgood.com. Until next time, be well, take care, and I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Well, That's our show for today. Thank you as always for listening. To learn more about my coaching programs, head to www.healthierforgood.com. And if you love this podcast, please drop us a review on iTunes or support the show by clicking the link in the show notes. Until next time, take care.